Hello, and welcome to ASMR Tirar de Hoyo. Are you hoping to calm your mind, relax your body, or experience ASMR? Dr. Andrew Michaels is here to help you. Today, you are headed back to the archives. Oh, hello. I'm so glad to see you. It's been a while. Yes, that's true. I am doing very well. Thank you. I hope you and yours are safe and healthy. Thank goodness for that. So, what brings you so deep into the labyrinth that you've landed at the Office of Astrobiology? Mm, the archives, of course. Which files are you looking for? Oh, you... You know what these go to, right? The green man? Is this for a mission or just research? N no, you're right. Whatever it is, it is not my project. I can grab those files for you if you'd like. Sure. Go get yourself set up in your regular spot and I'll see what I can find. Good afternoon, everyone. And today, I tell you the story, the legend of the Green Man. Now, if you grew up in eastern Ohio or western Pennsylvania, you might have heard of Charlie No-Face or the Green Man. Mm-hmm. Now, he was a real person. His name was Ray Robinson. Raymond Robinson. And as a child, he was inquisitive, like all little boys are. And it was in the 1940s in rural America, and he crawled up on a train trestle, like a, tr like a, like a bridge, an archway for trains. And these power lines ran alongside of it and actually ran on the trestle. And he was up there looking for bird eggs and nests. The birds frequently perched their nests up on the trestle. There was many little nooks and crannies for them to hide in. And Ray, like any young boy, wanted to see nature in action. And he threw caution to the wind, even though there were high-voltage signs everywhere. He still made the climb. What's going to stop a boy from climbing a tree or climbing rocks or climbing up the side of a bridge? Well, sadly, Ray made contact, and it severely burned him. He lost his eyesight, 
and it destroyed most of his face. Doctors saved his life. It was actually probably a miracle. He lived through the disaster, the fall, and the time it took him to get back for medical treatment. But Ray persevered. He lived through it. And he actually prospered in his own ways. Though he was blind, he liked to mow the lawn, go for long walks in the woods, using only his cane to guide him. His other senses, as they say, were very acute. And he was very aware of his surroundings. He knew the woods of western Pennsylvania like literally the back of his hand. And I, like I said, this is a true story. And sometimes truth and legend swarm around each other. And we were looking for this legendary green man in 1964. We had heard of Charlie No-Face and many people said, well, that's just Ray. People think they see Ray out there. And he's like a little lo lo local boogeyman. And the teenagers go out there to make out with their girlfriends and spark a little bit. And they scare the girls into sitting a little bit closer to protect them from the green man. Ooh. But when I brought up the legend of the other green man, the other green man, yes, there was another green man, the supposed demon or alien presence, nature wizard, warlock, that hid deep in the side of a cave, or was it a tunnel, always watch out for the green man, as the trains would go by, they would say, watch out for the green man as it traveled through a certain tunnel in western Pennsylvania. I often think how much of that was true to the people and how much of it was just local legend. Who really saw this green man, this giant bearded, greenish, glowing, evil creature that sucked the life out of you, left you weak, left you morbidly ill. It took you weeks to recover. He had all the markings of a psychic vampire, one that doesn't drink your blood but frightens you, scares you so badly that he has the ability to suck the life force from your body, literally adding your life to his. And by doing that, it extends his youth, his vigor, his life. Is it possible some strange, metaphysical, supernatural, psychic vampire could be walking the same woods, the same areas as Ray Robinson, Charlie No-Face, the actual green man. You see, Charlie had a 
He had a lot of veins and arteries close to the surface of his skin because he had skin grafts all over his face and his neck. So these veins, being close to the surface of his skin, gave him a slight greenish tint to his tone. And people thought this was the reason for the Green Man legend. Because he looked green. Look, he has a greenish hue to himself in the moonlight. And I could see people convincing themselves of it. People see what they want to see in the night. When they hear a noise or they catch a glimpse of movement. They always think the worst. It's a demon, it's a devil, it's a witch. Well, we were sent to get to the bottom of it. Many young children were turning up very ill. As I said, in these small towns in western PA. And they all had one thing in common. They swore, vehemently swore, that a creature caught them in the woods and pulled the life energy from them, pulled their energy from them, made them sick. There were no contagions, but the children's exhibited everything you would expect from a child who was in a very severe bout of flu. Were we dealing with an alien and alien pathogens that our doctors couldn't detect? Were our children spreading them into the population? They all had to be quarantined. And we had to find out what was going on right away. I entered the woods near Charlie No-Face's house. I did. Because that was where the psychic vampire was last seen. And it all made sense to me in a strange way. Teenagers, young kids on their bicycles would go into this small state route. And this little forgotten backwoods road thinking they're going to see a legend, a monster, a creature of the night. It would be fertile feeding grounds for any predator of the human nature or supernatural. And it was a wonder that we didn't have any missing children's cases. All we need is one predator to find out there's a fertile hunting ground. And next thing you know, he's offering children to show them where the green man lives and those children would never be heard or seen again. I hated to do this and shut down this appear a somewhat innocent legend that had only now become hot. But it we had to get to the bottom of it and it couldn't wait. So I had a team of four men and myself, and we ventured into the woods on foot, leaving our car locked behind us. We were lightly armed. All of us had sidearms, and one of the men had a rifle and a scope. Now, this was in the 1960s. We didn't have night vision goggles, and we didn't have elaborate electronic devices to help us. We did have a listening device that we could 
hone in to triangulate something, a, a noise in the distance. And we had telephoto lenses on our cameras that could take pictures at night and strobe lights to light up whatever it was we were dealing with. The idea was to wait overnight, see if we could find anything at night, and then maybe in the morning we could find something and track it. Two of the men were very good trackers and were known for being able to always bring in their man. They looked for signs of tracks and trails in the woods, and they found some. And they said, somebody walks through here every night. And they said the shoe size. They said uh, he walks lightly. He's not very heavy. And he has a cane or something that he uses to check the ground around him. I said, this must be the the famous Charlie No-Face, Ray Robinson. If we do come across him, I don't want to frighten him. We want to make sure that he knows he's done nothing wrong. It was getting late. We decided to buckle down for the night and sleep. So we set up small army issue, two men tents. They were so nasty. They're so uncomfortable. And they hardly protect you from the elements. But they were good enough on an August night to get a decent night's sleep. As best as could be expected on a hard floor in a sleeping bag. I woke up and realized I'm not a kid anymore. I was so stiff I barely could get up off the ground to go and relieve myself in the woods nearby. Everything ached on me, but there was something uplifting about it. It forced me to stretch, move, twist my body in ways I didn't think I could do anymore, just to get the pain and ang anger out of my joints and my muscles. It was kind of fun. For one night, it was fun being a kid again and sleeping in a nasty old, mildewy, moldy old tent. We started to break camp when we were surprised by a visitor. Right before us was the famous Charlie No-Face. He was hiding about a hundred yards away behind a tree. One of the men spotted him almost immediately. So we got company, sir, and brought me over to look. Whoever it was, they waved. They gingerly peeked out from behind the tree and waved. I said, I think that's our local man. He might actually know something, so let's see if we can get some answers from him. I approached him slowly with a cup of coffee in my hand and a flask of whiskey in my chest pocket. Yes, Charlie wasn't adverse to having a nip of beer or whiskey if it was offered to him in a friendly way. I approached him and talked as I walked towards him, whispering. I whispered on purpose because I wanted to see just how good his senses really were. And he nodded and acknowledged my presence. It appeared he either couldn't talk or was afraid to. I understood him being nervous. I also knew that Charlie liked 
smoking cigarettes. And I reached in and pulled out a pack of Pall cigarettes. Not my favorite, but we all smoked back then. And I said, would you like a smoke? A little something to warm you up? A little drink of Grandpa's medicine? And that brought him around the side of the tree. He actually signaled, signed to me, that he knew we were coming. They had told him about us investigating the children getting harmed. And he was afraid. He was frightened. He knew we were from the government. He knew where we parked our car. He pointed towards it, right where we came from. He didn't want to get blamed for what was going on, and he was very frightened, very afraid. He was treated with great respect, and he lived with his family, and they loved him deeply. And he was a productive, good family member. And he was a productive citizen. He made projects and crafts as part of a program to help blind people earn money. And he sold his wares. And he earned a living. He was not at all a despicable or disgusting character. He was actually a very beautiful creature. As, as, as badly as he was disfigured, his eyes literally gone, and his face melted like literally into his skull. He had an innocence and a, a beauty to him that was so attractive to interact with and listen to him, to listen to his story and how he told it through signs and nods of his head, making sure you were following along with his story. He talked slowly to make sure you understood him, but he was a very intelligent young man. There was definitely a bright, bright light inside him, and it was coming out through all the disfigurement and the crippling accident that happened to him. It made me feel so good to see someone in the human species overcoming their disadvantages. You see it all the time with veterans and young children who have to overcome terrible traumas and diseases. But to see it in someone like Ray, the fearlessness and defending himself, this is not me, this is not me doing this, it gave me hope. He didn't know what was doing it, but he knew it wasn't him, but he also knew it wasn't a story. He knew this was real. I lured Ray back to my camp. The men all shook his hand, patted him on the back. You could see, the, like I said, the light going off in his head. He would sniff the air a little bit, turn his head. He would cock his ears. He knew where every man was, his fingers and his eyes, where his eyes were, following where that man's gun is, that man's weapon, that man's drink, that man's moving towards me. 
It was almost like he could see people coming at him from a distance. He could hear you, smell you, sense you. Just because his eyes were gone didn't mean he couldn't see. Even the blind see. And the wisdom that they have in those moments of clarity could show us what we look like to them. How they actually see us, not as a collection of good looks, features, and muscles, or lack thereof, but as what we really are. And he followed all of us as we talked. As with most of my stories, it doesn't take long for something diabolical to happen. Around the time we were joking and smoking and sharing a cigarette with Ray, Ray suddenly froze, mid-laugh at a joke. He pulled the cigarette from his mouth, his hand tremoring like he was going to have a seizure or something was frightening him. He dropped the cigarette into the leaves, the dry August foliage laying on the floor of the forest, which I thought was very, very unusual. One of the men even stepped forward to, hey, don't do that, and he stepped on the cigarette immediately, twisting his foot, his hand still trembling, stepping back with his other foot still crushing the cigarette, making sure it was completely out. He raised his foot and he took three steps backwards. He retrieved his walking stick that he had placed standing beside the tree behind him. Ray was walking backwards, but keeping his ears and eyes zoned in on something directly in front of him and behind us. By the time he reached his walking stick, three of the men had already turned around and one had already pulled his sidearm. Whatever it was, was on top of us and right behind us. We got our answer right away. The man closest to whatever it was suddenly found himself struck across the midsection and thrown 15 feet across the forest canopy, his body skidding and rolling through brush and tangled thorn bushes. He was in a tangled mess, screaming in pain. He had been hit. The wind literally knocked from him. He was gasping for breath. We couldn't tell from where we were if he was harmed, but we weren't giving it a second thought. The man who had already pulled his forty-five unloaded five rounds. I pulled my sidearm as well and tried to get between Ray and whatever it was, pointing my gun in the air at nothing. There was nothing for me to aim at. I put my hand on Ray's chest. His hands were up to his ears. He was screaming, the gunshots hurting him. They scared him and harmed him. He couldn't perceive things with the gunshots going off. I yelled stop firing, but by then it was too late. The fallen man had already pulled his sidearm, and the others had as well. Gunshots were ringing out everywhere, and one by one each man was struck, 
one in the neck, one across the face, one directly between the legs. As he bent over, something struck him across the head, and he went sailing, each one getting knocked ten, fifteen, twenty feet away. We were all scattered at the four corners of the forest, each man literally disarmed, their guns empty. I was the only one standing between Ray and whatever it was, and that's when I realized Ray wasn't with me anymore. He had legged right out of there. I turned around. Where did he go? He disappeared, too, and whatever it was was coming towards me. I knew I didn't stand a chance, but I had to at least try to make an effort. And I saw four grown men unload multiple bullets at it. That's not going to work. You can't hit what you can't see. So I tucked myself back behind the tree that I saw Ray leaning against. Something struck the tree very close to my head. I had moved just in time. It must have been a club. It was a blunt weapon, and bark flew everywhere, a piece of bark going into my eye. It caught me off guard, and I stumbled away from the tree, but on the other side, away from where the tree was struck, and I managed to brush my eye and knock whatever it was out. I messed around a little too long doing that, and a strike hit me right between the legs. I went down hard, tried to roll with it, expecting to be hit. I told myself, no matter where you get hit, try to roll with it. I didn't do a very good job. It felt like my left thigh femur was snapped in half. Luckily it wasn't, but all oh, the pain was excruciating. I went down like a sack of potatoes, rolled into a thorn bush, and literally was cut from head to toe by the thistles. I jumped up and started pulling burdocks off my face, out of my hair, out of my clothes, just so I could get a look at whatever the hell was coming at me. My leg throbbed with pain like you wouldn't believe. And then I saw Ray. My invisible friend Ray and my invisible enemy squaring off. We couldn't see whatever it was. But Ray could. But he, being able to see it, didn't help us. And that was about to change. Ray reached down and snapped a dry, brittle bush off. About a three-foot section of a burdock plant. That's when I looked around me, when he snapped that burdock plant off. I looked around me, I looked at all the men standing up in different areas. We were in a burdock patch, and Ray knew it. He swung the burdock branch around and swatted whatever it was in front of him and a faint outline appeared right before our eyes. I had pulled 
my backup sidearm as well as some of the other men who were trying to close in on my position. I said, target those burdocks. Do you see them? Target the burdocks and fire. Three of us unloaded everything we had at the burdocks, literally floating in midair. In the confusion, Ray disappeared again. He was so in tune with the area. He immediately disappeared. Whatever it was, never got a swing in on him. He was gone. And whatever it was that we unloaded on was mortally wounded. Blood, skin, armor, weapons, flesh, hair started to appear before us. A hue of green. To steal from another movie, it, it blended into the nature and surroundings like like refraction, like the ter the predator from the famous Hollywood movie you might be familiar with. The shimmering green faded, and what was left was beyond belief. A six-foot-eight monstrous man, full beard, long hair braided down the sides, in armor with weapons as ancient as these woods around us. He looked like a Viking. He looked like a Norseman trapped, out of time and out of place. How many hundreds of years had he lived here? How, how did he get so far from the ocean and deep into the United States, Pennsylvania forests? But he was massive, covered in muscles, rippling. He looked like he was in his mid-thirties. He didn't even look a day over forty. And he was built like a brick shithouse. He could have took us out any time he wanted. But he was feeding off of us, feeding off of us, screaming in pain, screaming in agony. He didn't know we were go there to fight back. We'd found our green man, our bearded, evil, scary, nightmarish green man, and no wonder none of the descriptions made any sense. He looked like a a warrior. He didn't look like an in, a Native American. He didn't look like an Indian. He didn't look like, you know, he, he was. It wasn't a conquistador. He wasn't anything you would have thought you would see in the woods. He didn't even look like a mountain man, with his braided hair and his medals and armor and his leather coverings. He was gasping for air dying a green amulet around his neck it had been cracked by one of the bullets one of the men fired whatever power was inside that amulet it was blinking almost like it was fading out losing electricity and eventually as it faded out to nothing the Norseman lying before us, this Viking warrior of ancient age and out of place, died right before our eyes. We were staggered by this event, and we were looking everything over, and 
One of the men went to call in a forensic team and try to make sense of everything. I said, get an, get an archaeologist. I don't know anybody that knows anything about Norse mythology outside of Thor and Odin. Maybe an anthropologist might know something I don't. And as we were talking and stumbling around looking for artifacts and weapons, Ray joined us again. He wasn't scared anymore. He walked right up and he stood over the Norseman almost like he could see him. He reached over, I don't know how he did it, but he pulled a few burdocks out of my hair. Pulled a pack of Lucky Strikes out of his pocket, all folded over and rolled up to keep the cigarettes dry. He unfolded the pack of cigarettes and tapped it down, tightening up the tobacco and the cigarette. Then he pulled one out of the pack, slid a match out, lit it, blew the match out and put it back inside the pack so he wouldn't drop it on the ground and took a couple puffs of his cigarette. Nodding his head, he looked over at me nodded his head. A job well done was what I could almost hear him say it. A job well done. And in that I knew I would never have this chance again after this was all over. I reached down and undid the leather strap that held the green amulet around the Norseman's neck. Whatever it was, it was broken now. Was it a magical charm, alien technology, some supernatural gift from the gods? It didn't matter. Five men were alive today because one man knew how to see the world he lived in around him a lot better than we did. I took Ray's hand and I placed the amulet and the leather cord in his hand and I closed his hand on it and I said this is for you thank you and he nodded his head and then we sat down on a nearby rock and watched as my team continued a study of the area and a study of the green man before us. Ray was quite a legend. And he passed away around 1985, I think. And they still talk about him today. I think about him often. I only met him once. But he was a good man, and he was a gentle soul. And every once in a while I'll hear an article about a creature, a supernatural spirit, hiding in a cave or hiding in a tunnel in western Pennsylvania. And how the kids go out in the woods at night in their cars trying to get the girls to slide over and sit a little closer to them. 
and beware of the green man. And I think to myself, are they just repeating the legends they've heard over the years? Or did we leave another lost Viking warrior behind, deep in those woods? Someday, I'd like to go back and find out for myself. Thank you for joining us for ASMR Tirar de Huello. Please take a moment to share, rate, and review this podcast. It really does help. If you are interested in additional ASMR content, you may view our library of videos at youtube.com slash The theme song, Atlantis, is by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com and is used by permission. Correspondence, including questions or requests, may be sent to tirardehuel at gmail.com. On behalf of Dr. Andrew Michaels, thank you.